morning. I know your class is on spiritual formation, and John, uh, this is the area you're teaching in. I want to, I'm going to ask Danny to help me here, maybe. I would like to lay this flat. Do you think it's possible without causing too much problem? Thank you very much. Danny's a master of all things. Thank you so much. And I might need you to kind of move your... Wait, whoops! Oh, oh, oh. Stop <laughs> close, Danny. And this right here, is that just stay? Okay. Whew, that was close. Um, so, my privilege today is to share with you some of my thoughts around some of the scriptures in the whole area of what does it mean to be formed in Christ. And I expect that's the whole class of what you're up to. And this is an area that I teach in as well. Um, and so I want to share a bit of my own heart with you this morning around this and looking at the scriptures. But before we do that, let's pray that the Lord would help us to appreciate his word and to grow in him. Let's pray. Lord, you've gathered us together today from a lot of different places. And um, already the class that's meeting has had a lot of information. But what we're looking for from you today, Lord, is inspiration along with that. And I pray today that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and meet us in this chapel. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, one of the things that occurs to me in terms of our life together here at the college is that we are people who are not only seeking to have a transfer of information about the Bible or church history or theology, we are also committed to the formation of people in Christ. And what does that look like? So if I asked you today, how would you tell if a person had a good spiritual formation? Or how would you know if someone didn't have a good spiritual formation? And I think you probably could tell immediately if you were with someone, if you thought they had a sense that they were growing in Christ, or if they had a sense that they weren't. And my sense is what happens in a lot of cases is people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's a prayer sometimes, that's, we call it uh, a prayer of confession or a sinner's prayer. They pray a prayer. Uh, we believe the Holy Spirit enters into their life at that point, And they grow along with some knowledge. But then they reach a point sometimes where they can get stuck. They're not sure that they continue to grow. I shared on Sunday, we were, John and I were in Newfoundland on Sunday morning. And I shared an illustration, I want to start with this. It's a negative illustration, but it will help us, I think, to set the tone. Uh, in a church that I served as a pastor, uh, we had a meeting one evening with the deacons. And this is always something that's interesting um, when you meet with the deacons. Um, because you talk over the whole life of the church. Sometimes, believe it or not, deacons don't always see things the same way. And there were two particular, in this case, they were all men who were deacons, but there, there were two men who saw things very differently. On most everything. And this one particular man uh, would what we might call lose it. Uh, every once in a while, he would lose it. Now, in meetings, there would be times when he would uh, just get up and go out. Now the door might close gently, or the door might close with 
but it quite a slam. And people would say things like, oh, well, that's just so-and-so. That's just so-and-so. So one night in the meeting um, that we were having on a particular issue, this guy was really engaging. And they, they were friends. And they would do, they'd be in a note of one another's songs. But the temperature in the room just kept getting hotter and hotter. And the volume of the voices kept getting louder and louder and louder. Until finally, I think the one deacon realized that I was about to intervene and say, this is enough of this. He looked at me and with a very elevated uh, volume said to me, you just have to accept me the way I am because this is the way God made me. And inside I could feel the chuckle rising up. And I said, yes, you know that I accept you the way that you are. And I know that God accepts you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you in that condition. So I would say to you this morning that the Lord loves you. And from what Shauna just read to us, we can be confident of this, Paul said to the church of Philippi, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion under the day of Jesus Christ. So I want to really encourage you this morning in your own formation in Christ that God has an agenda for you to grow in love toward him and grow toward love toward one another. And his agenda is not going to be completed until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident, he said, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. And one of the things that we find in the scripture, in this whole process of spiritual formation, is that God does work, but we also do work. And sometimes, I think in, in, in our hallowed halls of the Cade Divinity College, when we have topics around spiritual formation, we can get kind of a mindset about what would a spiritually mature person really look like. And I love what Christian Schwartz said, because, and I don't know, if it, are you using any of Schwartz? in terms of spiritual styles in that book? Good. I just want to just give a... You, 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 they may already have this in there, but... He says there can be sometimes um, uh, stereotypical uh, kind of personality that we think of. And, and I will tell you, if you've ever seen the movie, and my wife, we watch this every year at Christmas time, The Sound of Music, and some of you have seen that movie, and you know that when they're, when they're at the Abbey and the family's being protected... And uh, then the, the Gestapo come, they're looking for them. And the, the senior uh, Mother Superior says as she walks across, almost looks like she's floating across to the gates. She says, slowly, slowly. And I think sometimes in our mind, when we think about spiritual formation, we get a personality in our mind or something like, you know, very slowly and so on. So Schwartz said these things. He says, suppose it spiritual personality type. Spiritual people aren't flashy. Now, this is what he says. This is the stereotype, okay? You understand? It's not that he says this is the truth. He said this is what people think. Spiritual people aren't flashy, and they are hardly ever extreme. They are rarely characterized as provocative, with a fighting attitude. They are usually middle-aged or even really old. In most cases, they're even dead. <laughs> they are likely to be early risers. You know, the people say, well, I got up in so, many, so early in the morning, I had my prayers. And, um, you know, and I prayed for you. And uh, a good friend of mine who some of you would know, Malcolm Beckett, uh, was in touch with Malcolm. You would remember Malcolm. Malcolm loves to get up early in the morning. It's his birthday today. If you know him, you should wish him a happy birthday. But Malcolm will always say to me, oh, I was up at 4 o'clock, Harry, and I was praying for you for an hour. 
I don't know what the Lord's ever going to do with you. So he says, these, you know, these people are supposed to be early risers. Now this one, their physical movements tend to be slow, perhaps even a bit ponderous. They can, be, they can come from various professions, preferably pastors and monks, but they are definitely not professional football players, comedians, bodybuilders, or models. And then he says, there are countless ways to express your spirituality. Spiritual people can be extreme, passionate fighters, young, late risers. I like that one. <laughs> Full of body movement or comedians. They can comply with the criteria mentioned above, be the exact opposite or anything in between. And he says, the fact that many books written on spirituality favor a certain personality stereotype has done enormous damage. Every believer has a unique spiritual style. But what are the things that we have in common? Or what are the ways that Christian people can recognize, even though we're all unique? What's the goal? What does a spiritually formed person look like? When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he gives gifts for ministry. But today I'd like to talk briefly with you about the fact that he wants to produce in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So are we growing in love toward God and are we growing in love toward others? Do we have a sense of joy or peace or gentleness? Do we have a sense of faithfulness and self-control? I mean, if you read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he teaches, Paul teaches us about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of a character change in our life. So, if someone comes to Christ, but does not show evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life, I have to ask myself, what is Jesus doing in their life? And Danny, if you would put up the slide that I asked you, if you could help me with at the very last minute. And he said he could. He said, you guys do things at the last minute. I know, I gave it to him just at the very end. Here's the slide that, this is not a slide that is unique to myself. This, is, this actually comes from a man who is now with the Lord, Dr. Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard writes, or has written extensively about spiritual formation. So before we look at the slide too much, I'd like you to think with me for just a moment about the fact that if you and I are going to be growing in Christ and producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, so we have the deacon who says, you just have to accept me the way I am. As an elderly man who got stuck, he never dealt with his anger. And if we had time this morning, and in your class you may get to it, and others of us may want to look at the first thing that Jesus deals with on his sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The very first thing that Jesus deals with is anger and contempt. And there are some people who operate their whole lives out of the base of anger. But what does Jesus want to do? He wants to conform us, the word says, to the likeness of his son. God wants to conform us to the likeness of his son. Well, how is it going to be done? So for that deacon, he just got stuck and said, I can't grow any further. I, in other words, maybe he tried to deal with his anger at some point, but he couldn't. Interesting thing is, the second thing that Jesus deals with in the Sermon on the Mount is sexual lust. The relevancy of the Gospels and of the Sermon on the Mount is as relevant today as it's ever been. So, as Christians, as we grow, how are we going to deal with our anger? How are we going to deal with our sexuality? 
The next area of thought with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is everything to do with words. How we control other people with our words. And I've used this illustration with the permission of our daughter and my wife, since they're both in it. Because growing up, our daughter and I had some very interesting discussions. And what we would do at the end of the day is we would have a walk, and she'd be about eight feet in front of me, and she'd be telling me what she thought, and I'd be trying to catch up about eight feet behind her. And by the time we went all the way around the walk, which would take about 35 minutes to 40 minutes, we'd be walking side by side, and we'd come in the house and normally enjoy a cup of tea. But my wife said to me, Harry, you'd be fine if you didn't feel you had to have the last word. <laughs> and she said to our daughter, Rebecca, you'd be fine if you didn't think you had to have the last word. It's interesting, anger, sexuality, the use of words, Jesus deals with all these things. So in your formation and in my formation, and those of you who are preparing for Christian ministry and leadership, it will be your person in ministry that people will remember much more than the words you're going to say. It's going to be the way you live your life and the way you respond in ministry to all kinds of different circumstances. That's what people will remember. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the growth in Christ should be at the heart of everything we do. The way we serve, in fact, if you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, there's this love chapter in the middle that's often read at weddings. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, the prophets mean nothing, and I have the faith to be able to save them out and rise up and be gone and have not love. And what really we're getting at you might be able to do all kinds of things. Gifted person. But if in your heart you're not someone who's growing in love toward God and toward others, it is, it is as nothing. So this model, and that's what it is, is a model of how is this ever going to happen in our life. So if in fact there's a goal, and the goal is Christ-likeness or character formation or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that ninefold fruit, if that's the goal, then how do we actually get there? And so Dallas actually provided what he called the Golden Triangle. And in his book on the Divine Conspiracy and also Renovation of the Heart, he talks about a process of how this can happen in your life and in mine. So we are in the triangle, we're in the center, and we center our minds in Jesus Christ. He says there are three parts of this process in your whole lifetime, because remember, We've already read this morning the passage that says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on. It's continuous carrying it on unto the day of Christ. So God wants each of us to be growing. He wants to produce the character. So how does this happen? And we won't take time to go through all the scripture passages. I'd be glad to just let, this, let you have the slide if you're interested. And you may actually have it in, for those who are in this particular class you may be doing it. So here we are at the top which is the direct action of the Holy Spirit. So how are we going to grow? How are we going to become the kind of person that God wants us to become? And he says there are three sides of this. The first one is always the direct action of the Holy Spirit. You and I can't change ourselves. The Holy Spirit has to change us. We cooperate with him, but he has to do the changing. The action of the Holy Spirit. And these passages of scripture, the Galatians 5, 22 to 26, the production of the love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, and so on, faithfulness, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So he's at work. So do we just stand like a tree like this and wait for the wind to blow? Holy Spirit, change me. Sometimes? Anna says sometimes. I think it's true. 
sometimes you might just be to the place where God just has to intervene. You cannot do another thing. You cannot go one step further. You can hardly take another breath. In fact, the scriptures teach us that in prayer, the Holy Spirit who lives within us begins to make an utterance or a groan that's too deep for words. The prayer rises up. That's in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit does the changing. Now, I wish that there was a button like a vending machine. You go, Holy Spirit, today I need release from my anger. <laughs> so, button pressed, <sighs> receive. Uh, Holy Spirit, today I'm having problems with sexuality and lust. Let's press the button. Phew, got that dealt with. Holy Spirit, today I'm controlling people with my words. Press the button. Oh, take that in. Good. It is not like that. But there are times when God, by the Holy Spirit, simply acts. And some of you have heard me share the story, and I'm going to share it again this morning, because it was so powerful in my own life, of the action of God to do something that I could not do. And there are probably issues in your life that you have that you just can't go one step further with. And I share in our class, I'll just share very briefly with you, that I had two half-brothers. My father married before, my mother married before. On, on my dad's side, there was a problem with alcoholism. It was not something in our home that was an issue. But my two half-brothers, both of whom uh, had this disease, and I came to, I understand it now as a disease. I understand it as an addiction. I didn't growing up. And welling up within me was a lot of anger through those years, when Christmases would be, dinners could be disturbed at a very deep level, Words would be spoken, and I often marvel at my mother's ability to manage it all on how she did it. But one brother in particular from my dad's first marriage really resented me. And when I would come to visit, he would say, here comes the preacher boy. And I grew within me to have an absolute, I can't even describe the words of a dislike beyond that. Years passed, the death of my mother, this particular brother moved in with my father. And then my father got very ill, went into hospital, double pneumonia, supposedly was going to die, we were given the word that he would die. And my brother was living in the family home. I was pastoring a church at Liverpool. I'm a pastor of a church, imagine. And the rage that was in me toward my brother and the desire to get him out of the family home and the home was in my name, deeded. I had a right to the home. It was mine. And I wanted him out to the sweet. But I knew God wanted to do something in my heart, which was to take the anger and the rage and the dislike, intense dislike, probably hatred, out of my heart. And I drove in Liverpool, there are two bridges, you can go up to Milton, go across one, down around the other way, and all the way around, oh, three hours of intense crying out to God, literal tears. And the Holy Spirit did something in me that I couldn't do actually intervened in my life and spoke a word. And I, it hasn't happened very often in my life and it may never happen again, but I heard the word, Harry, you don't have to worry about Everett anymore. Everett was my brother. I went home to the parsonage jail, there were two little kids. I said, an amazing thing has happened to me. And I was thrilled beyond words that this, there was a release. I went up to the hospital, Outside of the door where my father was, was my one of his brother, with the widow of the other brother. It's too long a story. Safe to say, they had just come from legal aid to sue me in the event of my father's death, so that they could, this brother could stay in the home. And I said to my brother, 
Stephen saying, Dad talks, that's, you grew up there, that's your home, I got to be, but you don't have an income, you're in a mess with your life, I don't know how we're going to work it out, but you can stay. And I said to my sister and I, you're a witness to this. And I felt like, literally, I was about six feet off the hospital corridors, and I left, and in my car and home, and I was completely relieved. That, my friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't do that. I had come to the end. Now, I had come to the end of myself. I had prayed. I had asked for help. But the Holy Spirit did the changing and took that out of my life. Took it out for good. My father got better and went home. And about probably five months later, in the middle of the night, I got a call from the funeral home. Because in my, and I owed him so short, that's what happens. They call you. And he said, Harry, uh, it's, he identified himself. I said, well, where are you tonight? Because the pastor, we were just talking about this. I mean, the pastor always went, no matter what time of day or night, he went to the family. He said, Harry, I'm at your father's house. I said, when did dad die? He said, it's not your father, it's your brother. I went out, and I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit did a work in my heart. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're carrying junk, you have to deal with that because it will deal with you. If you do not deal with it, you can't hide it, you can't put it down. You have to let the Lord, let him have it, bring it up, and tell him the way it is and let him work it out in your life. Down here on this on this corner, and these could all be reversed, they're not in any particular order, although I think Holy Spirit should be at top always. But over here, the ordinary events of life. This is the business of, of living. This is the business of when things don't go, Romans 8, 28, you know, we say, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And I've seen and heard terrible stories. And those of you who have been pastors, this has been a very misused verse. You have to read Romans 8, 29 to find out what Paul was talking about. Because he said, the Romans 8, 28, in all things God works for good, Romans 8, 29 says, to be conformed, that, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So in whatever you're going through, God wants to conform you to the image of His Son, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, that fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. That's hard. Because that means you have to surrender the ordinary events of your life. How do you surrender the ordinary events of your life? Or how do you surrender the extraordinary events in your life? How do you surrender the loss of a loved one. How do you surrender a diagnosis that could threaten your life or the life of a loved one? How do you surrender the diagnosis of a disease? How do you surrender the events of your life when it doesn't work out the way you want it to? And you painted the picture of your life to be this, and it's that. Surrender it. Give it up. Trust. Because in the Garden of Eden, the old enemy came along and said to Eve and to Adam, Did God really say? God can be trusted in everything in our lives. Now, the corridor is long between the time you may be told something that's 
drastic in your life until you get to that place where you're ready to surrender it? I'm not saying it's like that. It's not like that. The process of releasing a loved one to God or ourselves or the circumstances takes time. The question is, are you willing to take a step in that direction to surrender the ordinary events of John Campbell's wife's sister, twins born, we've been praying for one of the twins because the twin had to be airlifted for extra medical support. What do you do in that case? You worry, you're concerned, your heart beats fast, you hope for the best. Surrender. That child, that loved one. In our own family in the last few days, we've had a very strange infection hit our son-in-law who's today, probably by 2 o'clock, going to be a decision made whether he'll be surgery on his throat to remove this infection. Beyond the panic, which absolutely comes, and the heartbeat, and the sweaty palms, and you don't sleep through the night, surrender. Lord, this person's in your hands. You love them. Can you do that today? We had to do that. We chose to do it. You were in a meeting with us this morning, and you said, it's amazing what can happen by choice to think charitable thoughts to one another. It's a choice. Now over here on the right, and I'll wrap it up. Over here on the right, probably John, you'll be teaching some things around this. We used to have a course here just on spiritual disciplines. That's what it was called, spiritual disciplines. Friends, spiritual disciplines are just vehicles. Parking lots full of cars. You can go out and polish them up. You can stand back and admire them. You can think, aren't they great? But if you don't get in the car and go anywhere, that's what the car is for, is to take you somewhere. The spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation, they're vehicles. Silence, solitude, engagement with others, worship. They are disciplines to take you somewhere. And where are they going to take you? They're going to take you to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And here's my last concluding thought for you today. Our neighbor, Brenda, who's here in the room this morning, is one of the best walkers I know. She just is just a streak of zoom. <laughs> up a hill, down a hill, go. But when Brenda is walking, and some of the rest of you are walking, there's a whole lot of good stuff going on in your body that you can't see. Your blood pressure is going down. Your blood sugars are going down. Your cholesterol is going down. Your muscles are being toned. Your cardiovascular system is working. Sean is a runner. Long distance running. A lot of good things happen in your body when you do that. When you do the disciplines of this spirit, things happen inside you that you can't see. You might be reading the scripture. You might be praying. You might be in prayer. You might be in meditation. You might think that's all you're doing. But God is doing amazing things in you when you give yourself to the disciplines. My prayer for myself and for you would be that we would be on a never-ending journey of being conformed to the likeness of God's Son. And that's from now to eternity. And it will take the work of the Holy Spirit always. It will take surrender of the ordinary events in your life. And it will take planned disciplines for you to come to the Word and in prayer. And remember that principle of indirection, which is you do one thing, but God does things in you. That's my desire.
loves us too much to leave us in our condition. Let's pray. Father, there's so much work that needs to be done on the inside of each of us. Some of it we're, we are aware of it, and some of it we're not. We know that there are things that we need to surrender to you because they're greater and bigger than any of us. We know, Lord, that unless you work directly by your Spirit, some things will never change. And I thank you for each person in the room.